Good morning. I feel like I need to get down there because you seem so far away. Well, this morning we continue with our series, The Promise Our Savior Has Come. And we have been discovering the many promises of God that are fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. The Christmas season is when we celebrate all that is available to us through Jesus. The themes or the gifts of the season are hope, peace, joy, and love. Jesus meets our deepest longings and is the hope for our present and our future. And last week we looked at the promise of peace that was first given to those shepherds one cold night in Bethlehem. And today we're going to look at the third theme or gift, which is, of course, yeah, I mean, it's not a, I got an open book right here, you can see the answer, joy. Now, Christmas is truly the most wonderful time of year. I really do love everything about it. I love gathering with my family and my friends as we celebrate I love eating the Christmas meal. How about the Christmas desserts? All right, get a big amen on that one. I love the Christmas lights. In fact, last Saturday, not yesterday, a week ago, yesterday, we went up to Midwestern and saw all the lights up there at the college, and we took on the Polar Express and rode around, saw all the lights. What a wonderful time that was. But what I truly love the most of all is giving gifts to other people. I know many people who look forward to seeing what they're going to get, and yes, I am the same way, and I've been known to peek from time to time, and don't give me that look, you probably have too. Notice I'm looking back and to my left. But uh, what's wonderful is going out, finding that perfect gift for that loved one or, or a friend, whoever it is, and you, you buy it and you find it and you wrap it up and you're so excited to watch their face as they open up that gift. Something that you picked out, that you wrapped up and placed under the tree. Now the problem with that is I'm not the most patient person. Surprise, surprise. It's hard to keep a secret. As I wait for Christmas Day, because of the excitement and anticipation, but I must remain patient until Christmas morning. The reason I mention that is when you find joy in something, it's very hard to hide it. The things that bring you joy are the things that you want to share. It's in our very nature to want to share our happiness and joy with other people. It is no wonder then that we find that very same thing in Scripture. It's almost that God is eager to share the joy of Christ's birth even before it was time for Him to arrive. The incarnation, boy, that's a concept that I know that is true, but very hard to wrap my mind around. The birth of Christ, God becoming flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Coming to earth 
that is the greatest gift that's ever been given. You can almost sense God's excitement for the hope, the peace, the love, and the joy that will come through his arrival, which leads us to point number one. Jesus' birth is the source of true joy. And the book of Isaiah speaks of this coming gift. It's a prophetic word given about someone who would come to prepare the, prepare the, uh, sorry, to prepare the world for the arrival of Jesus. Now this passage in Isaiah we're about to read was written hundreds of years before its fulfillment. It's one of God's joyful promises about the future. Let's look together in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. Verse 3 begins, a voice is calling, or one calling out, or crying out, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low, and let the rough ground become a plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God promises that there will be a time of preparation for the birth of Christ. As you look back in Isaiah, you will see there will be a straightening and a leveling that will take place. Ensuring that the glory of God in Jesus will be available to all the people. You can almost sense the joy that God has to share with the world. This world that was broken by sin, he was about to send forth a light. He was about to send forth love and peace and joy to the world. But there was a time of preparation. A way of illustrating that point. Every year after Thanksgiving... It is time to get the Christmas decorations out. Now, I'm going to put this, make sure you tell her I said this. I have to admit, the last two or three years, I haven't been very helpful putting up the Christmas decorations. Let's get that out of the way. Talk to my wife later on, no details. But my wife knows exactly where every tree or trees will go. We have three trees in our house. We have the main tree in the living room. We have a little tree where all the grandkids' uh, gifts are. And then we have a remembrance tree with people, loved ones we have lost through the years, hanging pictures of them. In, in a way, as we look at those three trees, it kind of reminds us of the true gospel story, of the birth of Christ. And because of his resurrection, we will see our loved ones again one day. Our mantle is lit up. All the stockings are hung. I hope I don't get any cold this year. The jury's still out. But anyway, the point I'm making is that this was calculated and intentional. She just go in there and throw the decorations and say, I don't care where they go. She is very intentional where things will go. And she'll tell you, won't she? Uh-huh. <laughs> very intentional where she wants the, uh, the decorations to go. She loves preparing for Christmas. She loves it. It's because it's celebrating the birth of Christ. And here's a point I want you to hear very carefully. Preparation is the key to fully enjoying any great event. 
Preparation is the key to fully enjoying any great event. We have a great event happening every Sunday. Yes, you can encounter God by yourself. You can worship Him anywhere you want. But there's something about the people of God gathering collectively as a corporate body of the Lord Jesus Christ. A time when we meet together and we worship and we're waiting, we're desiring for God to speak to us, for God to move us. What are we doing in preparation for it? I mean, if preparation is key to enjoying it, are we praying on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday? Are we actively searching him out the rest of the week? Are we being his witnesses? Are we being that true light? And are we we anticipating on Sunday that I can't wait till Sunday comes. I want to share this with my brother and sister. Or there's something that tragic happens. You want to come and tell your brothers and sisters because like I said last week, I've seen this church laugh together. I've seen this church rally around together. I've seen this church cry with each other. That's what it's about. Doing life together. The promise in the Old Testament is that the people of God will see this preparation take place. Because God did not want them to miss it. Because it was a signpost for what is to come. Any barriers that were in the way of experiencing this joy of miraculous birth are removed. There is no desert, no mountain, no rugged place that will stand in the way of the revelation of Christ. That's the promise that we see back in Isaiah that was written hundreds of years before the actual event. Now we go to the New Testament. In the New Testament account of the Christmas story, we come across a man whose name is Zacharias. and some translations, we'll put it Zechariah. Who is Zacharias? He is a priest who serves in the temple of God. And we find him in the temple offering incense and worship. And people are praying outside. Now, before we go to that passage, remember, the incense that was burning represented the prayers of the saints going up. It provided a sweet aroma as God breathed it into his nostrils. So you have people outside praying. You realize that when we pray together, it's like that sweet aroma rising up to God. He loves to hear from his people. Not only the praises, but cry out to him. If you have questions, ask him. He's God. He can handle it. The scriptures say, come, let us reason together. I'm getting chasing a rabbit here, so let's go back to where I'm going. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 8. Now it happened that while he... Zacharias was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division. According to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by law to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel And fear gripped him, or fear came upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. (laughs) Every time an angel shows up, you ever notice that? Do not be afraid. 
Zacharias, for your petition or your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Interesting. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who goes as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. As we just read in the text, there's Zacharias doing what he needs to do and all of a sudden an angel shows up. He was troubled. Great fear fell upon him. And of course, we see that once again. The angel's response is, what? Do not be afraid or fear not. And apparently we find out that Zacharias and his wife have been praying for a child. And he tells them, I have good news. Your petition, your prayers have been heard and now they're going to be answered You're going to have a son, and you are to name him John. Look what the angel says about John. You will have joy and gladness, and many rejoice at his birth. This child will be filled with the Spirit of God while still in the womb. He will be kept from wine and liquor, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. Verse 16. Clearly, this child is special. God has plans to use him to bring joy to his family and to the entire world by the way he would live. Because of his life, there would be many who would be brought back to the Lord. And because of his life, he would prepare people for something wonderful that was about to happen. John. You know, just as a side note, as the story proceeds and Christ is born, and Christ starts doing miracles when he gets into his public ministry, and John is taken away. You know what happens to John in the end, and John's in prison. He sends his disciples to go ask Jesus, are you truly the Messiah? And he discovers, yes, he is. You know what John's response is? He must increase, but I must decrease. That's true for all of us. I preach dying to self. He must increase I must decrease. That's the call of the Christian life. Leads us to point number two. It is a joy to prepare others to experience God. That's what John life was going to be about. Preparing the way for the Messiah. And one of the greatest joys of the Christmas season, and I mentioned this already today, is the opportunity that we are given to prepare the way for others to see Jesus for what and who he really is. What a wonderful opportunity to speak the truth in the people's lives. And the most joyful people during this time of year are the ones who have experienced the hope and peace of God in their lives because they have trusted Christ. The way they speak to others, the way they serve others, the way they treat others is all a means of preparing the way for them to meet Jesus. 
So not only should we know Scripture and be able to show them salvation through Scripture, but we also should live it out. By the way we talk to them, the way we treat them, that's all preparing them to hear who Jesus really is. And this joy that we're talking about this morning, you know this, is a commodity that is in short supply in our world. There are people all around us who are miserable because they're in over their heads with their involvement in sin. They're heartbroken over the pain of life, and they're hopeless in the face of suffering. Now is the time for sharing the joy of Jesus with the world. Now, bear with me. We'll describe or define that word joy in just a minute. For the time being, just know now is the time to share joy with the world. And it seems like every day this world is getting colder and darker almost by the minute. I'm going to try to pronounce this gentleman's name correctly. I may not, so apologies ahead of time. There's an American author named Leo Buscalia, and he tells a story about his mother and their, quote, misery dinner, end of quote. That happened one night after his father came home and told the family it looked like he would have to go into bankruptcy because his partner had escaped with or fled with the funds that belonged to the firm. And so this guy took all the money and left. That's what his father said. That's, that's bad news, isn't it? But his mother went out and sold some jewelry to buy food for a sumptuous feast. Now, some family members scolded her for it. But listen to what she told them. Quote, the time for joy is now when we need it most, not next week. End of quote. Her courageous act rallied the family. Her sacrifice instilled a newfound joy. By her giving up what she valued, her family ate together and found strength from one another to never give up. What a story. What is one way that you can sacrificially bring joy to those around you? How can you be a beacon of hope? You see those beacons on top of the radio towers? If you look up closer, you see airplanes going by, that red beacon. Very bright, very distinct. You can even see them during the daytime. That's what we need to be. Those beacons. And the way we can do that is because of our love for Jesus. Each of us are given unique spiritual gifts. It's our task to find out what that spiritual gift is and then to practice it and perfect it. We have some prayer warriors in our midst. Most of them meet here on Wednesday at 1.30 in the afternoon. I know this. Many of you here pray because I'm so glad that I'm not going through what I was this time last year. I had COVID. ended up in the hospital. Because of God's acting in my life and because of the prayers of many of you, I stand here this morning. There is a spiritual inventory back on that table. It's man-made. 
So don't let it pigeonhole yourself. I mean, be open to other things. But if you answer it as honestly as you can, you'll see some gifts that God's given you. And then from there, say, okay, I got these gifts. How can I use them to be this beacon of hope to share the joy that comes with knowing the Lord? Now, verses 18 and 20, we pick up the story. And Zacharias' response to the message given to him by the angel comes with a consequence. So let's pick up the story back in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Literally, in the Greek, in days. The angel answered, The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Zacharias is skeptical about the good news. Hey, they're old. Hey, we're old. We can't have a kid now. The chance of us, or the prospect of us, having a child is slim. And because of his unbelief and his distrust, look at the text. He is silenced and unable to speak until John will be born. Which reminds me of this. Even though the good news of God who comes to us in the flesh to rescue us may seem too good to be true, our response should be marked by deep faith and joy because when we trust God, we can share it with others. I don't fully understand the incarnation, but I know it to be true, and I put my faith and deep trust in God. That gives me joy. Then I go out and share that with the world. I don't know how it all works. My mind explains. It just goes. I don't understand it. But I know it to be true. And that is what gives me joy. You ever come across somebody that says that? What do I need to do? (laughs) Nothing. Just tell God. Confess. He already knows you're a sinner. Just tell him. And you repent from it. And you'll have the gifts of salvation. And the Holy Spirit will reside in you. That's all I have to do. That's all I got to do. People sometimes have a hard time accepting how easy it is. As a side note, we always say, are you saved? I know what we mean by that, but we need to be honest with them. Once you make that step, that's just the beginning. Now becomes a time of sanctification, discipleship, learning more, going deeper more. And you take those baby steps. Don't don't try to read the Bible all one night. You ain't going to be able to do it. Take your time. Digest it. Pray. Take it all in. And over time, you'll look back all these baby steps. And a year later, you'll be surprised how far God will bring you in understanding of who you are in light of his love and mercy and forgiveness. Going back to our story, let's fast forward to the birth of this promise baby boy. We find all the family has gathered together to share this miraculous birth. And by the way, if you do not know this, Elizabeth is actually a cousin of a woman named Mary who's also pregnant who will give birth to a baby boy named Jesus. Now keep that in mind. Let's look, skip down to verses uh, 57 through 66 in Luke chapter 8. 
Now the, time, now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on, and it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs of emotion to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, His name is John. And, all, and they were all astonished. Look at verse 64. Once Zacharias did that, at once his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came all those who were living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard kept them in mind or kept them in their hearts, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly upon him. As we read in the text, a familiar, familiar discussion takes place. I mean, we ask the same question today. What you going to name your baby boy? What you going to name your baby girl? And everyone around them expected them to name him Zacharias after his father. But both Elizabeth and Zacharias had agreed on the, on the name John just as the angel had told them. By the way, I found this interesting. The name John is derived from the Hebrew Johanna which means grace by God or Jehovah has been gracious. Think about that name. That speaks volumes to the joy that will surround John's life. God has been gracious through the life of John. He prepared for the coming of the Messiah and Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. Which leads us to our third and final point. Our joy comes from the grace of God. <laughs> Look what happens when they asked Zacharias what to name the boy. They motioned to him. He, now, he, remember, he couldn't speak up to this point, so he had to write it. But once he wrote the name John down, he begins to be able to speak. And what's the first thing that he does? Look in the text. He rejoices and he praises God. When the word spread about John's amazing birth, in Zechariah's recovered speech, we find in verse 65 and 66 that everyone on the Judean countryside was in awe and wonder of all these things that had happened. God was gracious to Zacharias. He's gracious to John. In fact, throughout the entire Bible, you will find John's gra uh, God's grace everywhere. That grace that covered John's birth and his life is the same grace that is given to us free of charge because we can never earn God's grace. A gift that is given to us through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. We should be a people marked by joy because of the grace that has been given to each and every one of us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wrench like me. I was once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Amazing. And that word amazing, I think, has 
kind of been dumbed down in our city because everybody, oh, that's amazing. That's wonderful. It's amazing. But truly amazing. I don't know how else you describe it, the grace of God. And when our lives are lived from that place, that our joy is derived from the grace of God and who Christ is, and we celebrate the birth of Christ, and we have joy in our lives, people will be in awe of the miraculous birth of Christ at Christmas and will be known as living by faith, known by love. Are you somebody who knows the joys? Are you somebody who knows the joys that come at Christmas? We've been talking about joy this entire time, but let's, let's just define it before we close out. This joy that we're talking about is dependent upon who Jesus is rather than who we are or what's happening around us in our circumstances. This joy comes from the Holy Spirit abiding in God's presence and from hope that we find in his written word. That's the joy that we're talking about. Not the kind you run around and say, Woohoo, I'm blessed. Everybody has a rest. You, you ever get a little upset with people who ask them how they are? Ooh, I'm so blessed. I can't stand myself. It's like, does nothing ever go wrong in your life? But this joy. I'm concerned about our country. Very concerned about our country. But yet I have this joy. Because this joy that I have is not dependent on the president or the Congress. Thank God. It's dependent upon Christ and who he is. Not was, is. You realize, of course, let's just clear the the air as we close this out. We talk about the birth of Christ. (laughs) Christ is not a created being. He always was and always is. We find that in the book of John, the gospel of John. He was there in creation. He is part of the Trinity. What he did on Christmas Day is step down from heaven and take on human flesh. Dearly beloved, he has experienced everything like we do, but yet he did it without any sin whatsoever. You ever get hungry? Might be hungry now. Jesus knows what it's like to be hungry. Jesus knows what it's like to be tired. Jesus knows how to be lonely. And though it's like when your friends kind of leave you. Think of Peter. (laughs) On that very night, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere, even death. You know what Jesus wrongs back? Amen, amen, verily I say to you that you would deny me three times before the rooster crows. I met that, that must have sunk down to Peter's heart. We're not told in Scripture, but I just imagine Peter being a, a human being like we are. And then, that night when he goes to the Sanhedrin after they arrest him in Gethsemane, they take him from the Sanhedrin, Jesus, and they make, and the, the girl tells him, you're one of his. No, I'm not. They keep, yes, you are. And the Greek is kind of really heavy here, but he's really forceful about his response. No, I don't know this guy. I 
third time, and on the third time, he makes eye contact with Jesus, and he goes out and whips bitterly. By the way, that was a chokehold fire that was happening in the courtyard that day. Speeded up after the resurrection. Peter's out there fishing. His world's been completely turned upside down. I mean, oh, his theology has been turned. This, this, he was sure that Jesus was the Messiah. He just knew it. And he looks over the shore and says, Who's that? That's the Lord. He gets over there, jumps out of the boat, starts running up. Jesus already had breakfast going. I don't know if he commanded the fish to jump on the frying pan or I don't know. But he had some fish there. The fire was going. But the text tells us, here's the point, it was a charcoal fire. Now, the scripture is silent here, okay? But I just wonder, as Peter smelt that charcoal fire, that night came rushing back into his mind. And that's when you see Jesus say, Peter, do you love me? You see him bringing Peter back into the fold. And Peter became one of the great pillars of the early church. I said that to encourage you to keep pressing on. He uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Do you know that joy? Do you know it? You can today. Have you given your life to the Lord? Confess means to agree with God. Confess your sins to him. Say, yes, God, I'm a sinner, I've broken your law. Repent from them and ask him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. In that moment, Scripture tells us, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and following, in that moment, you become a new creation. All things have passed away. All things become new. That quick. And you can become part of family as you begin a new journey and everybody else in here will walk beside you because none of us in this room are perfect not one will come alongside of you and help you pray with you as we experience life together what a wonderful time of year that in the midst of everything else I can find on the news all the that just the hate and the chaos and all this. You said this, you said the fake news, if you will. Who do I believe? I tell you, you can believe. <laughs> you can believe the Bible because God's written word. That's what you can believe. And you can believe who Jesus is. And you'll experience the hope, the peace, and the joy. And next week we'll talk about his love, but his love. Quit. Letting the world define who you are. Your identity is not found in your occupation, how much money you make, what kind of house you live in, what kind of car you drive, who you marry to. That doesn't matter. Your true identity is found in Christ Jesus. Do not ever forget that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We can open up your word and read about your servant, John. How he went away preparing for the coming Messiah. And Lord, you have that calling on our lives as well. To prepare people for his second coming. To warn people about the coming judgment. That there's only two places they can go, heaven or hell. And the only way they get to heaven is through your son, Jesus Christ. You have put us to prepare them to meet him. 
Father, may we have a sense of urgency in our lives to do that task. And Father, I pray for everyone in the sound of my voice. If there's anything they need to take care of with you, that they would do that this morning. If they need to come place their faith in your Son as their Lord and Savior, I pray today that that will happen. If there's something in their life keeping them from you, experiencing fellowship and growing further in their relationship with you, dear God, I pray that they will make that decision today. Father, you are a great God. You are the Almighty, the Eternal One. You hold our very lives, our very breath in your hands. And we praise you and we thank you for who you are. And we praise you and thank you for the greatest gift that was ever given to us. And that's the gift of your only son who would be born. Take on human flesh. And he would walk among us, talking to us, instructing us, doing miracles. But ultimately, willingly laying his life down on that cross to pay a debt we can never pay. And that he rose again on the third day and now sits at your right hand. Father, we praise you. And rejoice in that gift you have given us. And may that joy in rejoicing, may that joy be seen in us by others who are around us so that we can lead them to you. Father, we love you. And we thank you. And we lift all this up in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Mm -hmm.